0: Welcome to the newly cleansed and refreshed in the game podcast, where we invite you to transform your dreams into reality. Every week, we aim to touch, move and inspire you to new possibilities for your life. My name is Sarah Maxwell. And is it really time for me to now intro my own show? Heck no. Bring in the Aussie talent to get it done. With their groundbreaking first season as The Nat and Sarah Show, the foundation has been laid for a life of manifesting your dreams. Join us as we delve into the nuts and bolts of what it really takes to bring those dream boards into reality. It's time to dust off your dreams and get back in the game of life. Are you a member of the community? Head to Facebook and search In The Game Podcast to download your three-step journal to begin the workshop-style teachings and gain exclusive access to your hosts and featured guests. Get ready to take action on your possibility. Today, we continue the conversation with the general manager of Isogenics ANZ. Steve Foxwell slid into his position in the company in his usual humble way, but his leadership has seen the company bolster results in the last six months in particular, and it's simply astounding. His belief in his team, allowing them to find their voice, be self reliant, and self responsible, is proving very effective. And yet, it's the deeper balance cascading through Steve that really intrigues me. His love of the ocean called him to Australia from his home in Wales, where he was adopted at an early age from Brazil. His warrior spirit lapsed constantly in his fight for what's right in people and for the survival of the planet. And I think you'll also get the sense that this handsome lad, so you'll have to watch on YouTube because he is handsome, has a depth as deep as the ocean. So thanks, Steve, for taking a moment out of the hustle and bustle in the office. You look like you're in like a soundproof room. So are you ready for this?
1: I am ready, Sarah. And uh, thank you so much. It's, uh, It's such an honor to be able to do this with you. I feel really humbled to do this. So thank you for inviting me on today.
0: See, he said humbled, guys. I told you. That's... He's, he's the real deal. So Steve, we're in COVID times, right? And and that's has lots of different manifestations of it. But you and I both are technically expats, you know, technically, we're not in our homeland. But do you feel like Australia is your home? And why is that? Like, what's the sense of belonging that you've got here in Australia?
1: I love this question, Sarah. It's uh, so loaded. I could go down so many different avenues with this, yeah. right? And, um, you know, certainly Australia is home to me. It's been, gosh, nearly 20 years uh, since I, I moved here. Um, a long, long time ago now. So haven't lost my British accent, as you can probably tell. I don't think I'll ever get the Aussie one now, but that's all right. Um, but, yeah, look, I, 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 I love this country, Um I I love the people here. I love the land. I love our food. I love everything about Australia. I love the ocean, uh, as you mentioned there. So certainly as much as um, I miss my my family back in Wales from time to time. But, you know, definitely Australia is home to me. And I think Mm -hmm. with the great technology that we have today through FaceTime and Zoom and uh, just being able to be connected as we are, uh, that just makes such a huge difference. Right. But. um, Look, I know we're going to talk a little bit about the early days uh, in a a little bit, but um, to answer your question, yeah, look, Australia's home and I'm surrounded by some beautiful friends and people here that I call my family. So,
0: yes. So, you're right. I want to talk early years because I think it's going to relate to the sense of wherever you are, I know that you're exactly where you're meant to be. And here you are. So, I'm looking at you. You look Brazilian, sort of maybe portuguese maybe something you sound english you've been in australia for 20 years i didn't know that was that long and so tell me how this thing all began so how do you look the way you look steve
1: well let's uh let's go right back to the beginning shall we so please um, <laughs> well okay i've got a, a very um deep spiritual path sarah that i mm-hmm. that i am um, connect to a lot. And again, I know we're going to talk about that later, but I think my uh, dissension into, into the planet or to earth uh, was a very impromptu one. And, um, there was really an opportunity, I suppose, or an opening that came about and I I took it at an impromptu uh, chance and really wanted the genetic makeup of my, of my birth mother and father. And that really led me into being birthed into, into the beautiful, uh, country of Brazil in Fortaleza, which is on the uh, oh. kind of north, okay. kind of westy coast of, um, east coast, I should say, sorry, of, of Brazil. Um, but circling back a year before that, um, uh, there was a beautiful couple in Wales, and that's my adopted mum and dad. And, you know, I, I love them deeply, and they've been the greatest parents that I could ever have asked for uh, in this time on this planet. But, um, you know, uh, she, she came from the UK, actually from, from England and met my dad in Wales and they got married at an early age. She was only about 20 years old and uh, she couldn't have her own children. And back then there wasn't like the technologies there are today with IVF and uh, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, she took many, many drugs trying to fall pregnant and tried different things, but just couldn't do it. So, um, at the time, I think she really made a call, uh, and so brave of her, Sarah, I mean, I, I think about this often, and for me, who's 39 years old now, nearly 40, at the age of 20 years old, what she mm. did on her own um, is, is just pretty outstanding. So my dad stayed back in uh, in Wales and ran the, the family shop and newsagent in a tiny little village in, in Wales. And um, my mum had some friends actually who were over in Brazil and um, she really just found that there was enough that there's always a need for it right in the UK. I mean, everywhere you go in the world, there's a need to help young children and there's always going to be whether you adopt them or there's kind of fostering needs to be happening. But she really wanted to go a little further afield and and really help some kids in a in a worse off country i suppose and if you know brazil it's either feast or famine and mm-hmm. um, she really just wanted to do that so she headed over to uh to south america back in early 1981 now uh, right when the falklands war was really taking place it was a dangerous time to kind of really be in the country mm-hmm. and um she met there a couple of her friends from the uk that were helping her look at some of the areas in Rio de Janeiro and they take around to, um, I guess, really where the slums were uh, and, and just the just the shock, I suppose, that my adopted mum got when she got there about really the need to help so many children around the world was just, just a little bit overwhelming.
0: Um, so, Steve, are you saying she went there to actually help kids initially, not to actually adopt a child? She was there to help kids? No,
1: she, No, she did. Uh, the, the, the aim was to come back. And um, adopt a child. Two children, yes, yeah. Oh, okay. But, um, yeah, where she, she started off in Rio, and then her journey led her up to uh, Fortaleza, mm-hmm. where she met this beautiful woman called uh, Linny Bloomer, who's actually just connected with me out of the blue, uh, which is just gorgeous. Wow. Um, Yeah, so nice to, to hear from her. And uh, she, she actually connected her with a lawyer uh, in uh, Brazil and um uh, and i guess the, t- the two stories go um i'll go with my one first because my birth mother my beautiful mum, was 14 years old when she had me mm. and um she was working for a big wealthy estate or a big home uh, and she was working as a maid there and they gave her the ultimatum of you know either she keeps her job or she keeps her child And she knew at the age of 14 that if she didn't have this job, Mm. she would be on the streets of Brazil. So she had no option, uh, but to, I guess, hand me over her first newborn child, right. Mm. to to a complete stranger, which again, I'm just have the, the the most abundant love and thanks and gratitude to her at the age of 14 to, to do that, to, to hand me over to somebody who's come from all the way overseas, doesn't even speak their language. And I always remember the story that my mum shared with me um, of how she looked at this young girl and she looked her in the eyes as she handed me over mm-hmm. and really just promised her that she would do the very, very best job and she would love me and she would look after me and she would nurture me and she would, um, you know, help me grow up in the very best way that I can. And, uh, you know, that, that was my, my journey. So that happened, uh, which wow. was pretty, pretty cool. Right. And, uh,
0: Did you, did you have memories when you were young growing up looking different or anything like that? Or did you feel really integrated?
1: It did. I, I, to be honest with you, it didn't really bother me at all. Um, I mean, I always got a good suntan when the summer (laughs) came around, but you know, it was, yeah, it didn't really trouble me too much, but, um, I'll share my sister's story, Kathy as well, because Mm. she's not my blood sister, but she also came from Fortaleza. Mm -hmm. Um, But she was um, a case where her mum um, left her on a doorstep of a house that had twins because she was on the, I guess, the understanding or she thought that in this house they'd have more bottles and cloths and maybe a little bit more food uh, Mm -hmm. than she might have had. and So she left Kathy on the doorstep and literally rang the doorbell and there was a baby on the doorstep. Um, so that's how my sister got connected uh, to, with my mum and Linny, who helped.
0: Your mom took two babies back.
1: That's right. Yeah. So How, uh, old,
0: you, how old were you? Uh,
1: with, gosh, I was probably a month or two old.
0: Oh. Uh, and my
1: sister, Kathy. So the, the, the lawyers helped with the paperwork. The next thing we were back on a plane going back to the United Kingdom um, and started our life in Wales.
0: <laughs> and how early did they tell you? This, a little bit of your story. Did you know you were adopted most of your life?
1: Yeah, you know what, Sarah, I think this has probably been one of the greatest things that they could have ever done to us. Um, because, you know, growing up, my sister's a lot darker than me, Kathy. Um, okay. And obviously my, my dad had red ginger hair. <laughs> my had black hair, <laughs> she was pale. So we nothing like mom and dad. Um, but ever since we even, before we even could comprehend what it meant, they would always say to us, hey, you know what, um, you're two beautiful little children from Brazil. And, um, you know, we adopted you and we brought you to Wales and, we were, and they would tell us over and over and over again. And it was at the point where we were like, OK, mum, like you've told us, we just want to play with our toys. Like, we know, we know. I couldn't imagine what it would be like if, you know, 18 years old, they were like, son, sit down at the kitchen table. We've got something to tell you. I mean, it would be pretty obvious by then, but no, always told us.
0: Thank you, and look, I was a bit selfish in asking because Jordan, when we think about telling her, you know, they already ask on Father's Day. What do you? What does Jordan want to do? She always does stuff for Granddad. She that's her decision. But we've told her stuff pretty upfront. So thank you. That kind of confirms that that's a good thing to do. We'll probably annoy her by overtelling her, but that's good. But you, I know, early on, Steve. Like there was a sense of wisdom. There was like something pulsing in you, even at five years old. Tell me a little bit about what you knew about life, even at that age.
1: Yeah. So we, gosh, early on, from about kind of five years old, we'd move from I guess the local town, which was a tiny coastal town. Uh, and my mum's dream was always to have uh, you know her own land and a farm and. We found this beautiful property uh, up in the mountains that had rolling grass fields and mm. kind of went into the dense forests, and then that would hit this huge, uh, vast mountain range that would go into all the valleys throughout Wales. It's absolutely stunning. Um, and I guess really from that point on uh, is where I really started to become connected.
0: Mm. Uh, t-
1: um, I certainly went through a period of feeling trapped on the farm as I got a little bit older, where all the other kids would be in the towns playing. It was always an effort for mum and dad to take us you know, three miles down the road. But when I think back now to those early ages, um, it taught me so much about just respecting nature, respecting the earth, respecting, um the seasons and life and death and the cycles of of nature and i would always just feel this immense um open-heartedness to that uh from a very early age and almost like a not to sound super woo woo era but just this this Protectedness from it all the time, or that I always was aware of this energy that was with me all the time. And even as I'd take my little backpack with me and put some digestive biscuits in the back, and off I'd go for a hike up the mountains by myself at the age of like nine or something like that with my little Jack Russell dog. I always felt this presence of nature and this respectfulness and almost like a safety net around me all the time, mm-hmm. at that very early age. Yeah.
0: So, how just let's follow that thread for a sec. So how has that protectiveness or that force kind of guided you all the way into all the different nooks of your life so far?
1: Well, um where should we start with this? So <clears throat> talking a little bit about I guess the pivotal points of my journey growing mm-hmm. up and to lead me to where I am right now, I suppose um <sighs> really started uh, again at a very young tender age and and one of the first memories that i have of doing this almost almost manifesting it i suppose Sarah, in, in a way um was when we were again young kids and would it would be kind of the winter time the snow would be falling and it'd be approaching christmas merman would always drive us to a place called chester which is just on the outskirts of uh wales in in, in england and it was this beautiful old like 16th century victorian city with the thatched black and white roofs and just a very high end beautiful city actually um and i always remember going there with mum for christmas shopping and you know i'd be you know way high up to her up to her hips i suppose like that and the snow would be falling and everyone would be in there in their beautiful coats and stuff like that and you'd go to you'd see the shop windows and you know you'd almost see those beautiful like wooden toys that almost like a picture perfect postcard or a Christmas card right how you'd imagine it and I fell in love with it and I just had this instinct I guess feeling inside so I was like I knew that one day I would live there I was like I love this place so much it's just so beautiful and it wasn't just like a thought it was lining up that feeling of emotion that kind of clicked in at the same time um and lo and behold years later I would find myself living there right um question Yes. when
0: you live there sorry i've got to interrupt because you're saying really great things you're basically describing like manifestation here right but a lot of people use the word but they you're making distinctions. so when you arrived in chester what was it that let you know i created this
1: um it wasn't until i mean gosh years would have passed by now i'd gone through yes. high school gone through my teens I um, found myself in a college in North Wales that then went across to Chester. But it wasn't until I kind of got there and I got the keys to my first apartment and thought back to that point where I'd think, wow, I was thinking about this at such an early age. And it almost felt like it almost felt like home again. There was like this sense of knowingness, a sense of familiarness with it. There was a sense of, yeah. A, just knowing that it would have happened. So it just felt right.
0: And so just, I don't ask many people this, but I know I can ask you, what do you think is the value of you stringing that together? Like eventually making that moment, that realization that wow, way back when I created that versus randomly or feeling like you randomly ended up in Chester. What's the difference? Is there one?
1: Um, I just had an awareness that I was doing it back then.
0: And why does that matter?
1: Well, just speaking for my personal- Yeah, yeah, this is just- words. Sarah, I, again,
0: I, By the way, guys, I told them I was gonna ask him a hundred other <laughs> questions. This was not on it,
1: so. <laughs> that's all right, that's all right. Look, I it I I back to everything in my life, Sarah. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, again, another story I'll share with you is, is whenever I was a little boy and I used to go on holiday to Spain, Mum and Dad would take us. I used to love the aeroplane. I thought that was the best part of the whole whole thing. I remember we used to fly, we flew to Disneyland in Florida once upon a time, and I just wouldn't go to sleep the whole 12-hour flight because I didn't want to miss a moment of the the cabin crew girls coming down, serving the food, watching the videos, like listening to the the voiceover from the captain. I loved every essence of it. And again, at the age of probably 12 years old, I turned around to Mum and Dad and I was like, um, I, I love this. Like, it feels so good to me. Like, I'm going to be a flight attendant when I'm older. And again, after I'd moved to Chester, um, I used to look outside at nighttime and look up to the sky. you know you'd hear the airplanes going over, and I'd be like, "Boy, wouldn't it be great if I could get a role as a, as a as cabin crew or as a flight attendant?" And then I'd start to explore, you know, early on, like how I could do that. And next thing, there I was flying in the skies, right? You and, did that. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was actually thinking, is this gonna end badly? Because I didn't no. know you did that. <laughs> yeah. Ah.
1: And again, I, I go back to that moment in time where you had this click of alignment, right? Of a thought that you're like, I want this, but the alignment of the feeling matched up to it so strongly that even years later, it manifested, right?
0: And do you, once you've manifested something, because I now know you're not a flight attendant anymore, what allows you to move to the next thing? Like what, is there a shift in that alignment and how you feel about it that, or is it that the next vision matches feeling and then you move on? Like what's that kind of transition? How does it work? (laughs) (laughs) Look at me, I'm like, I'm like a scientist. I was like, tell me. I
1: I probably can't explain it to be honest with you. I think once you you step into that.
0: That's the wrong answer. (laughs)
1: once you step into that manifestation of let's call it the the journey of being becoming a flight attendant i think you need to relish in that for a while and and Mm -hmm. be nourished by that experience and i did for three four years and Mm -hmm. the greatest times of my life doing it we you know we traveled the world and it was so much fun and um but i think we're expansion beings of infinite light and i think it's uh in an infinite universe that's continually expanding right and i think that's our nature to always expand to the next thing and to grow and i think after a while it's like okay well what is next yes what what is next for me that's
0: the answer just saying (laughs) (laughs) You knew it
1: yeah well that that brought me to australia actually because um
0: Mm.
1: you know i'd i'd moved up to liverpool by now uh, and and found some of my best best friends there and one day they said, say, Hey Steve, we're, we're all going to think of going to Australia to do that 12 month holiday thing. And at the time I was like, who who wants to go to Australia? Like, why would you do that? Like, I'm not going stubborn in that I was. <laughs> so I decided not to go. Uh, and they all flew off without me. Uh, but then a couple of weeks later I was like "Oh bugger. All my best friends are, are having the best time of their lives. So I was like, "Mum, dad, I'm going to go to Australia. So, um, I flew out a month or so later and, um, Again, it was the most profound moment. I remember arriving in Sydney, and the minute that airplane door opened, it was an Air Malaysian flight, I I remember it. Uh, The minute I walked out and felt the heat of the sun and just had this like, (sighs) a moment of you're home, this this distinct knowing that I was home. Um, And then a couple of minutes later, you're walking up the air bridge and forgotten about it, right? And can't wait to see your mates. And uh, I stayed for about uh, four or five months, I think, the first time around. I didn't actually get the work visa. And I remember flying back home because I was still flying for the airline at the time. So you do the summer season in the UK and you have the winter off. So obviously with the alternating summers, it was the summer in Australia. So anyway, it was time to go back home to the airlines. I remember dad picked me up at Manchester Airport and he's like, son, so how was your trip to Australia? And I was like, you know what, dad, I, I loved it. I'm gonna to move to Australia. I've just got this knowing dad, I'm gonna live in Australia. And at the time he was like, Steve, you've had a you've had a great trip with your mates, but you know, it's time to buckle down, get a job, get a trade behind you, and, and start thinking about a mortgage in a house, as traditional parents would, right? And we're getting home to the farm in Wales. Same thing, Mum was there, how how was it, son? Oh mum had the best. Thought. I'm gonna live in Australia. Steve, you haven't got a uni degree. You haven't got a trade under your belt. You can't just turn up in a country and get a visa. Now, get it out your head. Now, let's get you a job and settle down. <laughs> mm. And uh, mm-hmm. again, it's, um, I didn't know how I would come back here. Um, and I, I always remember this, again, this distinct moment in my, in my life. I had the, uh, the uh, Lonely Planet of Australia. You remember the books, the Lonely yes. Planet books? I remember sitting in my old bedroom with the bunk beds and I was sitting on the bottom bunk. And i was staring at the cover of it right and it just had that australian uh, cover on it and i almost went into this like like trance meditated trance i suppose and and just lost myself in thought of australia and just knew in that instance again that that feeling that came from i guess that real heart chakra was so strong and so aligned again to the want of having to live in australia um and then the moment goes right and then again the season came around and as i made the decision i was like right i'm gonna go back to australia this time and do a 12-month work visa so i got a 12-month work visa um and the time came at the end of that visa where it was to make a decision on okay either i go back and fly again for the season at home or i try and stay in australia so i had no idea how i was going to get a visa how i was going to get a job nothing but trusting in the universe, trusting in this manifestation process.
0: On that, do you ever get bogged down in the how or does trust come naturally for you? Is that just something that you'd um, gotten used to over time or do you ever get caught in the how part of it?
1: It's very difficult to try and not go, okay, well, this is the pathway that I'm gonna go to get the end desire, right? And nine times out of 10, it's not that pathway that takes you there. It's something completely different. So Mm -hmm. by now I have trusted in the process of just letting go of trying to fix it and just letting the process take me to point B. Is that because
0: you used to try to fix it and it didn't work out? Like, did you actually used to do that or you learned that pretty early?
1: I think I've just become aware of it as I've looked back at those points and gone, do you know what, Steve, don't even try and find the right path to it. The right path will come, which probably only came in the last several years. I suppose that okay. awareness around that. Yeah.
0: And just to skip on to something really quick, cause it's gnawing at me is in the role that you're doing now being the GM, did you like, I use the word slipped into the role, right? Is that how you feel that it happened or did you always know I will be there? I don't know how, but I will cuz we could look at all the situational things that happened. Did you have a knowing about that?
1: I'll be I'll be honest with you Sarah, I didn't manifest or try and manifest this position. Um, Got it. When I started my career here, at Isogenics six seven years ago, mm-hmm. I just I just loved the company. I loved the people. I loved you know Eric. I loved the, Jim and Kathy. I just loved everything about it. The culture. Um, I mean, it was going fast. It was energetic. It was just it was just like this abundance of energy that was filling me up all the time. I was just so happy with Isogenics. I didn't really think, what's that next step? Got it. Um, so um, yeah, this was kind of a little, a little bit of a surprise. Uh, But I certainly feel it's probably one of the most challenging leadership roles of my life (laughs) I've stepped into.
0: And how are you using some of the the experiences of your life? Because, you know, some people would look at it like a little bit magical, really, Mm. what's going on right now. And I know you're too humble to kind of own it fully. But what would you say about what you know about manifesting is what's going on right now because things are aligning in a way that they weren't a year ago
1: yeah well um let's go back three years from mm. now um and again as a young guy i fell in love with new york city uh, mm. i love new york i mean what a brilliant city i have. i think it's just fabulous and being 30 odd or whatever in new york's just such a great time and I just again was like how can i move to the united states like i want to move to america and i asked for it and i asked for it and i'd be in new york city and i'd feel it again it'll all click and line up and uh before you freaking know it right um sharon walsh is offering me a job over in the phoenix office and before i know it the us visa has been approved <laughs> and then i was like well actually do, do I really want to live in America anymore? Um, so be careful what you wish for, friends, because uh-huh. it can yeah. certainly come through. Um, but talking about this last uh, 18 months, I suppose, Sarah, I mean, when I first took on the role, um, it was like a whirlwind in a teacup of emotions and, um, I guess you really kind of question uh, do people have the respect for you to take on such a huge role and your ego gets in the way and you're like, can I show up for the staff? Can I show up for the field? Can I be this leader that everyone is expecting you to be? And I put this immense pressure on myself. I really, really did. I'd lie in bed looking at the ceiling at two 30 in the morning. Mm-hmm. And we went through a bit of a rough time at the beginning of uh, the mm-hmm. company. And I really did have some moments where I was like, is this, be? is this the right mm. move for me mm. and then I thought no take like all the contrasting things in life I love if it was all smooth sailing how boring would it be right so I actually nourish and, and relish the challenge sometimes yeah. uh, of some of the bumpy times you get in the road right but um of course once I'd kind of felt like I'd settled into it a little bit I got the reins I thought, where do I want this company to be? How do I want this to look? How do I want my staff to feel? How do I want the vision of the compu- of the company to keep moving? And mm-hmm. I think we're really starting to see the early stages of that. And of course, we've had incredible success this year. We've probably had our best year in in three years, which is which is great. Um, and funnily, I was just talking to Eric just before I oh, cool.
0: to you. Okay.
1: and we were talking about kind of the next two years, three years. And that excites me because again, I know that we are all expansion beings, right? And the company has to evolve and expand all the time. Uh, and that excites me to be able to paint that vision with him and, and to start to see the, 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 images in our head come to fruition, I suppose, and how beautiful and abundant and rewarding and, again, nourishing this company mm. is and will be on a much higher level in the future.
0: And this is going to be speaking a little bit industry here, but I think it's so cool that one of your reasons for wanting to potentially go to Arizona was to work with Eric and have the vision. And, and, and here you are, he's semi tra- was semi-trapped in Australia. And it's like, well done, good manifesting. You just brought him toward the ocean, come this way, come out of the desert. Um, And here he is. But thank you for sharing the hard part of that, because isn't it funny? Even my recollection of you is, oh, Steve's only been here for the good stuff. No, you've been here when it was really hard. You questioned it. Was it the ocean that gave, you know, that, that moment where you're like, maybe this isn't for me maybe i'm not made for this you know when people when you get in that questioning stuff what allowed you to stay and say no you know I'm, I'm i'm here and i'm gonna actually shift this vibe i'm in what what can you remember at all what that moment was
1: well there's 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 two parts to your question there there's the mm. The connection i have to the ocean mm-hmm. <laughs> and there's the question of would i what made me stay and, and want to continue with this role and um the part of wanting to stay and continue with this role is because i clearly and distinctively see the future of this company and i am surrounded but even
0: with- when it was crappy yeah okay thank you yeah
1: and and i think the defining part of that is that i'm so luckily and gratefully surrounded by some beautiful, uh, mentors being Kathy Coover uh, and Eric. I mean, what a beautiful soul. And Peter, who's just so supportive and the biggest cheerleader, uh, Sharon Walsh, who's always got my back. And I got to a point where I was like, you know what, Steve, you're not alone in this. You've got people who are a wall of professionals behind you who've got your back, who trust in you, who support you. And it's almost like I just let, let that feeling go of i'm not good enough or you know they don't trust me or all that just disappeared it's like my shoulders just sat back and i was like mm-hmm. i've got this and i've got an army of people around me who's going to help me and it's okay and we're going to get it i
0: love it and i think i get the sense that that's what you do for the your team like they just seem to all be flourishing which is kind of cool when you just said that example i was like wow you know you got that from others and now you're giving that yeah. gift as I a leader. Think, yeah. I think
1: one of the most beautiful things that the Coovers and Eric and Sharon and the, the whole executive team uh, do is really they don't babysit you. Uh, they give you the space to be as creative as you want. And that allows you to put your own stamp on it, uh, try things, fail at things, learn from things, grow from things. Uh, that's a great company. That's a great leadership wow. for me because, um, as much as they're leading, they're allowing me to lead at the same time.
0: I'm with you on that. I just, I continue to be awe inspired by that. Mm -hmm. You know, Eric's, you know, speaking to Eric on the podcast too, like his transparency, his like, yeah, just the way they allow people to be who they are. And on that, I just want to end with this because not that you're trying to be, but you're sort of a covert gay man because most people just don't know that about you. So, and that's not because you hide it either. It's that people want to assume that they have a chance to be with Steve Foxwell. And they most, (laughs) like, sorry, but most of you don't. So on that, and I'm being cheeky, but what I do want to ask is more about as a leader, do you feel that that ever gets in the way? Does that ever become part of the doubt um, narrative? For you or is that just not even part of it
1: um <clears throat> in in this role that i'm in here with isogenics i haven't experienced it become an issue at all again everyone's just so beautiful and such an open heart and so understanding i mean gosh mm-hmm. it's 2021 nearly for god's sake so again pretty cool on that front but does it present itself in my life sarah still yes mm-hmm. um i mean as you know i'm a mad surfer. Um, and sometimes I'll find myself in, you know, I'll travel the world to some of the biggest swells around the world, and you know, you're in that very masculine, dominating, like heterosexual kind of environment, um, and to, to talk about it or to even allude that that's the case, it's mm. it's still to look like a bit taboo. Yeah, like I have to say, it does present yeah, it right. time, yeah.
0: How? old were you when you knew you were gay?
1: You know what? Um, again, from as far back as I could ever remember, yeah, yeah. before I even realized what, what it meant. You knew? I just, I will, I knew, yeah, I didn't know what it was, but I, I was aware of it back from a very early age, five, six, seven, yeah,
0: well, but,
1: you know, and you're just like, oh, well, it's just a feeling. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: Do you like that people can't tell? About you or would you rather it be more obvious
1: I'm happy being like I am who I am this is me I'm not trying to hide anything or be anything I'm just authentically me right now um, so it doesn't really matter I suppose yeah
0: okay that's not a thing for you yeah I was really debating whether to bring it up right because I was like you know I make lots of jokes about being married to a woman for 20 years but I'm not gay so I thought you know I have a chance to talk to Steve about this. And and look, we almost never talk about it, to be honest. Um, so why not do it with a microphone on? So Steve, I really just appreciate this, that, that you allowed us in, because I'm really passionate that people who have sort of this like secret superpower, I personally believe everyone has access to it. But we sometimes feel like we can't say it because it might not be people might not know how to take it, mm-hmm. but what I love about you is the best way to take it is look at the results, look at the environment, look at what you're creating and just look at the beautiful dream life you've created yeah. by just aligning that ever since you were five years old, you, you knew
1: it's not, it's so, as you said, it's certainly not anything. woo It's not anything magical anything like that. I think what it really boils down to Sarah is becoming, very aware of the northern guiding star that's inside you that inner soul that's always with every single one of you um and listening to that i think so many times we can get so confused with the soul's voice versus the mind and the ego and what we think society wants us to be and project and look and feel and sound um that's not what you're listening to it's this deep quiet subtle innate voice that's pulling you through life that's what you want to tune into. And I know we were talking about it just earlier, but in the ocean is where I completely um, let go of everything work-wise, life-wise, and can highly attune, uh, vibrate at a higher level and can so tap into that inner voice. Uh, that's kind of what I think people can just become more aware of. And, and if they want to find that inner voice, that's where you need to
0: be. Wow. Well, I'm just going to leave it on that because that was really prophetic. Thank you so much, (laughs) Steve.
1: Thank you, Sarah.
0: We so appreciate you listening to the show. Don't forget to join the community on Facebook by searching In The Game Podcast. There you can download your three-step journal and participate in our weekly live video chats. Hold on, hold on, hold on five stars five stars five stars and then click on write a review link to actually write a review so that you can tell other people that we're legit and even funny maybe a bit serious so if you want to recommend this to someone you have to put your fingers on the keys and send us a review